We are ex-Overland, and over the past 10 years, my wife and I have established a business doing what we love. Throughout the last 10 years, we have built over 20 Overland vehicles that have taken us and our team around the world as we film our adventures. My name is Clay Croft, and I am the founder and CEO of ex-Overland. On this podcast, we take a deep dive beyond what the camera can capture to offer you as much insight into the world of Overland travel as possible. Navigating and exploring is better with buddies. Having the ability to easily share routes, plans, waypoints that mark fuel stops or sightseeing opportunities is clutch in getting the XO gang ready to roll. Now on Onyx Off-Road, the app has the ability for me to organize my content easily and then share the content with the new feature, Folder Sharing. Adding routes to the folders and sharing them makes the planning process that much more efficient. And it is this easy. All you do is tap My Content in the bottom toolbar and select Add Folder to create a new folder to share with your group for your upcoming trip. Check out Onyx Off-Road with the code XOverland to get started today. Welcome everybody to the XOverland podcast. We are talking about truck building today and therefore I have Mr. Claycroft and Mr. Tanner Johnson who on the XOverland team I have cherry-picked to be in this podcast to answer your questions. We have been compiling questions from fans. It's a new series. It's something we're working on in the podcast is to do some episodes that are Q&As. You write in questions and we respond. So today we have a series of questions about truck building. And we had lots of questions, of course. And so what I did was to sort through them and find some overarching themes that fans were asking about, and then select a handful of questions that address those broader topics. So we're going to, going to be responding to your questions specifically. And we're also going to be using that to expand and just talk a little bit about truck building in general. And uh, might add, this is our first time just doing an outdoor podcast. It's spring here in Montana. Can you believe it, guys? <laughs> I can't believe it because the winter was forever. Yeah. And yeah, and if you can hear, I can hear birds and stuff in the microphone. So if you're here and you're just outside with us, we got a wild hair today. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, that's, there's a ton going on in the shop. So we were like, let's just go out and shoot this thing outside. And it's yeah, fun. Yeah, we're uh, we're close to expo bound. So yeah. It's, it's crazy here at the hangar with lots of cool things. And um, I love this being outside. I, like I said, I just hardly yeah, believe it. We, you could, know? we should do this more. I know. So this is perfect uh, weather. Tanner, would you do us the honors of flipping the hourglass? Mm-hmm. Here we go. All righty. And we are going to just kick this off. Boys, what do you say? Hit me. Hit Let's me do with it. it. Okay. Let's do it. So this first question is from City Overlanding. And the question is a simple one, but an important one. <laughs> Let me we guess. can expand. Do 33-inch tires rub. Mm. <laughs> Not a bad canner. <laughs> any, any guesses? <laughs> Do they? What is the first mod? Oh, yeah, guaranteed. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, to quote, what's the hey. first, from City Overlanding, um, what's the first vehicle modification you would suggest? So this one I did actually see in advance and I had a little bit of time to think about it. And I mean, you can almost break it up into two categories. Did you buy the vehicle new? Did you buy it used? But either way you go, in my opinion, to me, the very first mod should be throwing your gear in it and taking it out and trying it out. 
And then you'll actually find out where you're going, where you're camping. Oh, actually, I would like to get up that trail further, but I couldn't. So maybe I need to lift it up or get better tires. But just getting out there and throwing your camping gear in the bed of the truck or SUV or whatever it is. I mean, to me, that's the first modification is just to use it. And then you find out quickly where you need to go from there. I'm hearing a, a kind of delayed gratification theme, maybe too, Tanner, and that like delaying the cool factor of how your vehicle looks. Like you might want it to look a certain way because it looks cool. And you're like, man, I want to get that right away. Mm-hmm. But you're saying if you can be patient and just attempt to get out, like go go to where you would typically be going, you can learn some things that are going to influence what you need that first mod to be. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even have to be that long. I mean, you could take it the weekend, you'd buy it and just go somewhere with it. And then you'll start figuring out really quickly, oh, man, these trails are rough around here. I need to beef up the suspension, get better tires. Tires are one of those ones. It's like that's pretty much a universal one unless you buy it used and it's already got really nice all-terrain or mud-terrain tires. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you always want to start from the ground up if we start talking about, like, modifications, so tires. And we are going to stick to vehicle modifications or overlanding modifications. Mm. I, it is the vehicle modification. Well, right? it's this is really a little of both, and I okay. organized the questions. Right. So, you know, to start with the vehicle, thinking people might be building, you know, from the tires up. And then the last mm-hmm. questions are about things like canopies and roof rooftop tents and that sort gotcha. of thing. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Well, I, I used, going back to Tanner saying, you know, go use it first, that I, I'm 100% in agreement. That, that's a great way. You got to know what you need by identifying the rub. And yeah, so a quick trip. Now, also, there's something that is really different that has happened in the last year or so with the the vehicles that are available. So if it's back to what you said, Tanner, if it's u- new or used, mm-hmm. well, that used to be, well, if it's a new one, it's still going to need certain modifications. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays there are a lot of newer platforms coming out that take care of those initial modifications. Mm -hmm. For example, the new trail hunter that was just launched by Toyota. GMC's got stuff with AEV, the Bisons. So depending on the new vehicle that you buy, some of these initial things are actually taken care of. Yep. Uh, So it just depends on the truck that you actually did buy. All right. So I see this is why, and I think this is useful to when we're talking about overland vehicle building and what should that first modification be. I think we should broaden that to maybe it's a ground tent. Maybe it's something so you can go and be because of what you're saying too, that you might, your truck might roll off the, the, um, the lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With the, the build basically in place. Exactly. Because, when you look at uh, what what do you need to go overlanding in a vehicle platform, it's it's just a, a reliable vehicle, usually with a little bit more ground clearance, good suspension, and uh, it's able to get you out and back. So there's a lot of new awesome stuff out there that takes care of that. So now you might be getting into, wow, well, my first modification might be the because those other necessities have been taken care of. Now it might be, oh, I need better galley. I need mm-hmm. a fridge or I need an air compressor or, or things. So it, yeah. Yeah. So if it's not tires and suspension tires first, obviously mm-hmm. you can usually go about plus one on your tires in size before you run into problems with generalized stock suspension. Uh, that gets you a little more ground clearance and a better 
uh, more durable tire on the truck, off you go. Uh, then the sky's the limit from there. But if you're talking livability accessories to the vehicle, a lot of times it's the fridge. Once you get a fridge, you're just like, oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It changes the game. Yeah. And, um, I, I want to like get into more of those mods too, like okay. Arches accessories, even as mm -hmm. we keep going, but I don't want to leave this question yet because Tanner and I were having a pretty good chat a couple of days ago about this. And he really underscored the difference in use case between a brand new vehicle off the lot yep. um, and a used one and maybe a build, you know, something you're getting, something that's got some miles, maybe it was just a grocery getter, forerunner, and now you're trying to turn it into an overland vehicle. Uh, case in point right behind us is the third gen yep. that is featured in our masterclass series on Overlander Network. And that provides the model that I'm referring to here. So let's say... You know, you bought a 92 Forerunner with 180,000 miles on it, and you're like, I'm going to turn this into an overlanding vehicle. Now, what are you thinking of for your first modification? So at that point, you just assess it. And I mean, maybe your first mods is replacing worn out shocks, replacing worn out drive shafts, bearings, stuff like that. You want to get it drivable and reliable, very good maintenance wise. So like with this Forerunner, we bought it. And all of the first stage of the build was basically just getting it as mechanically sound as we could get it. Replacing anything that was wearing out, looking like it could wear out or could wear out. Because we, this was a special case because we were basing the whole build on the parameters of you're going to drive to the tip of South America with it. And so we were preemptively replacing things that were probably fine but it's like well we're not gonna be able to find that down in south america so we're gonna replace it now better fix it now exactly yeah. so with a used vehicle like that i mean before you start adding in the weight of tents and gear and all that stuff you want to make sure the vehicle can handle it so again you want to look at the suspension the tires that are on it you know, I really want to put in a plug for our Masterclass series for anyone who wrote in with questions here, yeah. mm -hmm. that it's worth the subscription to Overlander Network because and we all worked on that extensively. And as a writer, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, we need a book on this topic. And I'm like, yeah. wait a minute, we Me have too. a book. It's a visual book. <laughs> it's a, it's yep. a Masterclass series. <laughs> we worked on that for like a year. Yeah, It yeah. is very involved. So I think a lot of this would, you know, there are a lot of answers within yeah. that video series. So yeah, if you are so inclined to watch it, yeah, there's a lot of these answers yeah. within. Yeah, totally. Right. Cause, and there's theory that will apply to whatever vehicle you're starting with. And like Tanner just really pointed that out. You buy something like a used 92 forerunner, your first mod is going to be determined by your first, your evaluation of the vehicle. Exactly. Because one of our tenants is reliability, reliability. That's where you begin. Yep. So your yep. first mod might be replacing the shocks or the alternator or something yeah. like that before you get the cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, and the reason why is because what what else is the point? What, you know, yeah. What's the point if you get out there, you have sweet new tires and you're broke down? Yeah. You know, yep. that's not the experience you're looking for. Right. You know, and you can go around the world. I'm telling you, you can go around the world on stock vehicles. Oh, you yeah. can go traveling in a stock vehicle. So, yeah, uh, make sure it's reliable first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not sexy, <laughs> but in a way, it if you're mature, when you're maybe over 35, you, a second <laughs> you start to say, you know what? That is kind of sexy. You're really reliable. <laughs> Look at that thing. You know, like, yeah, that thing over there, the 
oh, dear, lifted we, up. And it looks lifted like we're broke and crazy. down out here. Yeah. And and she's like, yeah, sure. The vehicle's <laughs> broken down. Yeah, right. <laughs> so. uh, okay. So anyway, um, moving on, a question from Vitamind, which is kind of cool in that this is sort of like, you know, what's first, but it's, it's, it's specific because a lot of people will have this specific question and use cases will vary. So mm-hmm. here it is. Suspension or wheels and tires first? Wheels and tires. Well, tires. Wheels, unless you need a certain wheel to do something, I mean, that's personal preference. But I would say, I mean, tires first. Yep. Unless it has good tires on it and then it's on stocks. I mean, it's all kind of case by case. But yeah, you want to make sure you have good tires first because that's what's actually touching the road. That's what's keeping your family safe. That's what's going to get you up that trail. The suspension will get you a little bit more ground clearance, but it's not going to get you traction on the ground. So yeah, yeah. and yeah, go ahead. My, go ahead. The willy nilly statistic is the number one thing that does fail on any vehicle is tires. Yeah, you know, it's the most abused. It's where the rubber literally meets the road, <laughs> and they fail. You know, um, no tire is bulletproof. You don't want it to be, because it would be terrible to drive on. Mm-hmm. So the compromises that all these tire manufacturers go through to give you the best ride and traction still provides weaknesses. They'll never be bulletproof. So statistically, they're the first thing that go down. So I would say if it's beyond, let's give them some parameters. So that if yeah. it's below 50% of the tread and it's a brand new vehicle and you're going to go out and be adventurous with this truck, swap the tires, get some new tires, make that your first mod. If, if it's over 50%, <clears throat> Run them, run them for a while, and put the money somewhere else for now. Yeah, that's a cash flow thing. You know, if you've got the cash flow to do something, but not all of it, now put it towards the suspension, and you'll burn up the tires eventually and swap those. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm thinking too about um, you know what Tanner was saying as far as wheels, and how oftentimes stock wheels are fine. They're good. Yeah. So like if you're worried about, I mean, your aesthetics might be different. So you want something that looks aesthetically different, but in terms of functionality, reliability, there's no need to go replacing the wheels as opposed to the tires. Like you'd even be better to go tire suspension than fiddle with the wheels. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, I hear talking to everybody, you know, reading the internets all the time. Oh yeah. And people say, oh, well, these look better and they do. Sure. That might be better than a stock wheel, but let's define why a stock wheel is so good. Uh, they are des- designed by the auto manufacturer to last the serviceable life of the vehicle. They're oftentimes forged, not billet. Forged means they're poured into a mold and they have to go through crazy testing to be able to have an auto manufacturer sign off of them sign them off and say, this is the the wheel that will service this vehicle under our liability policies for its lifetime. And they're often uh, much lighter. So your rolling resistance, because they are forged, forged wheels are expensive to make. And there's only a couple aftermarket wheel companies that actually make a forged wheel and you pay dearly for them. So a factory wheel is a lot of, is really good. In a lot of ways. Because that factory, too, it has economy of scale as a business, right, compared to... Exactly. Okay. So Just can... same thing with uh, aftermarket gears compared to factory gears. Mm. Factory gears are superior to an aftermarket gear because of the economies of scale. They can buy the best metal and get the metallurgy perfect. 
uh, because they're making 250,000 of them, you know, yep. this year. So they, they, that's how they can get the best for the cheapest. And, you know, that'd be tough to compete with in the aftermarket when you're selling. So is there less. any reason beyond aesthetics to buy an aftermarket wheel for overlanding? Yes. So we actually just dealt with it, but we were upgrading the brakes on Sequoia, our new Sequoia Simba, and then uh, Tundra. And we went with a uh, power stop brake system. And the brakes themselves were a larger diameter than what our current factories or even our aftermarket 17-inch wheels could fit. So if you go with something like that, you're upgrading the braking system and the brakes are too big, then yeah, you would swap out to a different wheel. I mean, you could maybe find an 18-inch factory wheel or go to an aftermarket factory wheel. To accommodate the larger brake. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And the other reasons would be, say you're going with, uh, you, you you have the need for a higher flotation tire. So you go with a much wider tire. Uh, sometimes the stock rim would be too narrow for a really wide tire and you get this like weird ballooning on it and it wears out the, the, where the bead, right where the beads at. It's just, it's not a good, um, they don't marry well. Uh, so you might need to get a wider wheel than what a stock would do okay. or, or have, uh, to accommodate a bigger tire. And then you might be playing, depending on the suspension that you're putting in, uh, your offset of the wheel turns into mm-hmm. a thing. Uh, so how far does the wheel need to tuck into the hub or does it need to get pushed out? Um, if you're going with like long travel and things like that, you got to get, typically you go with a bigger offset and yeah. So there's, we could get really nitty gritty yeah, into that. We yeah. could have a podcast about wheels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Maybe yeah. we will. Which is so cool. I'm thinking yeah. like, wait, bead locks would, and that sort of thing. Totally. I would love to dive into that. Someday. And tires for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, well, we're putting those on the list. I think that'd be great. And I, I'll correct myself. It's power brakes, not power stop. I got my, oh. my turds whisted there. So power brakes is the brakes that we put on that needed a larger wheel. And do yeah. we put power brakes on quite a bit? Like for some of the rigs that just beef up their braking capabilities? Yeah. This year we ended up getting them on every fleet truck and they actually saved clay over in the Nordic series. Yeah, they did. They're wildly good. Yeah. And the reason we would do that, let's just, well, why would you upgrade, upgrade your brakes? You know? <laughs> yeah. Is a build part of a build, right? Yeah. yeah. So in the, in the, let's see, what's the saying we always say in the beginning, think of what may be the end, mm-hmm. you know? So, all right, I'm going to go build this truck out to a zero to hero. And it, at the end, it's going to weigh a lot more. It's going to weigh, 1500 pounds more it's gonna weigh 2000 pounds more a lot of our trucks in the overland space they go way over that which we shouldn't but they do mm-hmm. so your brakes are specced for a stock vehicle plus their payload within their safety margin plus a safety margin above them of course but they wouldn't advertise that but their stopping power is designed around that spec of vehicle now we have constant load vehicles that are weighing um 2000 pounds more and you get into a power stop brake and you put those suckers on. Power brake. Power brake. Oh, man, you got my. I know. You got me. <laughs> I power brake. Power brake. Power brake. Power brake. <laughs> and the reason we run power brakes, they, they're out of South Africa. They are the official brake of the Toyota racing. Like, these are the guys. They do all their Dakar brakes. They are legit. Um, as legit as it gets. So we put those brakes on and holy cow, 
This is also part of the nerdy thing. Like as you're into overland space for a while, they're like, "Yeah, I don't care if it's lifted that high, but does it have upgraded brakes?" <laughs> you know, that's the maturity of it all. Like, and how does it stop? Stop. And in Norway, uh, what happened was we're coming around a corner. There was a construction zone that we were in. I was myself and Cyrus, I believe. Who is it? Maybe Dan. I can't remember. I think you now. said Cyrus. I don't. Know. Uh, we were looking at this amazing thing in normal traffic pattern. And all of a sudden, someone down the line had come to a complete stop in the middle of the road through this construction site. And this the Toyota safety stop sensors engaged and locked up that truck before I caught what was going on. And I it was phenomenal how that truck, this is Adigan, uh, heavy truck, stopped on a dime <laughs> and saved us about halfway through on the trip from a rear-end collision. It would have been my fault. But man, holy cow. At that point, I was like, I'm never jeopardizing safety systems. I'm putting brakes yeah. on this, all this, because all of a <laughs> sudden, what, this I was is gonna, what matters. You know, just throw into the kitty of this podcast is like, be aware of whatever sensors you're affecting with any modification oh, you make, yeah. because it might be something like that yeah. that is really built to protect you and the vehicle and everybody else. So yeah, we can pay all attention. Kinda, we can poo poo on them. It's like, oh man, there's, there's <laughs> safeties. But then all of a sudden, one day, it, it saves yeah. your bacon. You're like, oh yeah, well, I don't want to do that. this mod because I don't want to lose that. Yeah. Man, I'll just say one little quick story with brakes too. Won't mention a manufacturer, but when I got a new rig and went up into the mountains to play around, it was it was a three-quarter ton truck. So you think that would be enough. But mm. I just had a lightweight four-wheel camper in there, got on a steep pitch. I wasn't sure I was going to stop. Ooh. I'm putting on the brakes and it's not stopping. Ugh. And it's a bad feeling. Upgraded Terrible. the brakes ever. Oh, dude. I didn't know that feeling Terrible. was possible. Like, I'm Terrible. like, I, uh, how's Especially that going to happen? Especially in a modern vehicle. Yeah. Three quarter done build. So it yeah. happens. It happens. So, uh, yeah, upgraded the brakes and much happier, much safer. Awesome. <laughs> that stuff that offers peace of mind. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm way into it more than ever. Okay. Next question. This one, this one's going to be good because, again, I'm thinking our build series and I've heard Clay talk about this theme a thousand times, even oh, in boy. only a year and a half of so of being around them. And that is this. Uh, this question is coming from Yapping About Cars. And the question is, when building an overland vehicle, should I save and buy everything at once or build in pieces? Ew, so that progressive that's a question. That's a good one. Hmm. You want to tackle it first? Let's go to philosophy first. There you go. <laughs> I'm down. Philosophy says, um, our ethos would say, use what you got and go. You know, there's that side of it. There's another side of it that uh, kind of what in the realm that we work in and maybe some more of the full timers, they would say, I'm going to build a truck and I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do X. Uh, the E7 trucks. We're going to go build three Land Cruisers and drive them around the world. Yeah, of course you build them all. You get them as dialed as you can and you leave. If you're a weekend warrior guy, gal, family, you don't need to do that. But what you do need to consider is the cost, the, uh, the long-term cost of building a truck in pieces. Because there are certain things that uh, if you can do all at once, there's economies of scale to its cost. So like you have the wheels off and the brakes off, that's a great time to be doing the suspension. 
while you do the breaks because they're all off. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so there's, that's how we've gotten our costs down over the years uh, of building the XO trucks because they all get blown apart mm-hmm. and they stay blown apart and they don't really come back together till the last week. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're not doing things over and over, taking things on, putting things on, you know. Yeah, if you're going to upgrade yeah. your gears. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, maybe I'll do lockers later. It's like, well, I'd wait to do the gears because the amount of labor to get in there is going to be Pay for the gears. a lot. So, yeah, just put the <laughs> gears in at the same yeah. time. Wait to do the lockers until you have the gears and then just pay that hourly rate once to tear apart your diffs and put them in and install them. And, and to that point, I can say the more you take apart your truck, the worse it gets. Yeah. Um, the... Toyotas are great for going back together really well. Uh, we lo- we saw that on the Jeeps. As soon as we started tearing that Gladiator apart, we're oh. like, ooh, I don't know if this will go back together. First door panel came off and all the clips are just destroyed. Yeah. And we're like, well. And that's going to be true for everything. Yeah. You know, like the more you take things on and off, they, they just get looser. You lose things. It's just not as tight. So yep. minimizing that has its value. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Try to, that's I mean. That's a good point. If you can, like, try to sit down and draw out a long-term build plan, even if you know, oh, I'm not going to get that light bar a long time from now, or, oh, I'm not going to put in that radio a long time from now. If you build out that plan and know that you do want to do it, while you're in there wiring something else, you might pre-run a wire for that thing later because wire is cheap. So if you have that door panel off and all those pieces off, try to run all the wires you can that you know you're going to need by building out that plan, and then you just take it apart and put it back once and then when you go get that radio down the road it's actually a lot faster and easier to install because you've already done a lot of that tedious labor of taking panels off and running wires that just saved our bacon on orion uh uh-huh when we're getting it prepped yep to go to africa and we were like what what was it we had to wire something in it was uh, another fridge that was on one of them. Raven. What, what, it was the trigger wires that we pre-routed for the Red Vision. Yeah. And what was it? Then we were like, oh, we'll have to run all this. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. No, oh, Ryan, no, no, I think right there. we yeah. already did this. We stubbed all this stuff out so we wouldn't have to get them back into it. Tapped mm-hmm. into it and we're off to the races. Saved our bacon right there. Yep. Yeah. At, uh, you know, I And I'm thinking of people who might be considering like what they've heard about, you know, get out there, just start doing it versus be patient and get your build put together. And I I think you made a great point right away, Clay, that depends on the use case. If you're building something to tour around the world, like E7, on a very like specific kind of adventure, then yeah, you're going to need to finish that build before you go. Um, Whereas if you're just gradually getting into this pursuit and you're getting out a little more each time and you're trying to get your feet wet, um, then you can still be getting out, but maybe get out within the limitations of your build. And that's the patient part while, while you work on putting it all together. Yeah, and I'll, I will say the limitations of your build, that's a great thing to bring up because I think the, the, a lot of people in the general public who are coming into the Overland space, they see things from our channel or from others and Instagram and stuff. Man, my truck's got to look crazy to be able to go do any of this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people call us out on our YouTube channels and stuff like, oh, Prius could have done that. And they're not wrong. You know, a lot of times a Subaru could have been there or done that. So don't underestimate the power of a stock vehicle and how capable these vehicles are. And really understand that when you start modifying a vehicle, 
know why you're doing it. Uh, because there's a lot of costs that you may not need to take on and a lot of modifications that don't really serve you that much other than like two or 3% of your drive time, you know, versus keeping it really stock. Mm -hmm. I saw a thing from Scott Brady the other day, hashtag stock is hot, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and, uh, stock, stock ground head. So just be really aware that, uh, marketing companies and things we're guilty of it we're part of this right mm-hmm. uh it may not be exactly what you have to have and it might be far it is i will tell you this it is far more approachable to go do amazing awesome expeditions than you would be led to believe due to marketing yeah that i can i can think of instances in which you know i've i've heard of that very thing you know from people like questions i've heard from people that have shocked me like you know, we, we have a RAV4 in the family now, and I could go on about how much I love that vehicle. Yeah. Um, but my wife the other day, like I was talking about, well, if you just put some recovery boards, small trains. And she's like, but that really wouldn't be overlanding, though, because you're in this, right? Oh, uh, gotcha. And, and so it's that kind of thinking <laughs> classic, you know, and it's like, well, um, actually, it could be. It just depends on what you're doing. And, and, and another point I'm thinking that you guys are bringing up is if you don't need those modifications, save the money for traveling and for doing the thing itself, right? Oh, yeah. That'd be so much better. Yeah. Walk away with an experience versus a thing. Yeah. The way I see it is overlanding is defined by the activity, not by the vehicle. Yeah. Like you can go on an overlanding trip in a car or something you know it's more about what you're doing it's not like oh i have to build my vehicle in this way to be an overlander right overlanding is what you're actually doing right not the vehicle you're in necessarily it helps but it's the tool to do the thing Mm -hmm. and a lot of us make the vehicle the thing Mm -hmm. and you know that's all right that's fun it's fun i love we're all of us sitting yeah, at this table. We're all the we love our yeah. gear. It is yeah. total. It's part of the big, Super the fun. whole thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, don't make it the whole thing. Yeah. Then I'll circle back to you know the first thing you should start doing is just getting out and using it before you start bolting on the awnings and the shovels and the max tracks. It's like I've actually found myself stripping things off of mine because I'm like I haven't used that in mm-hmm. like two years. It's taking up weight. It's t- it's causing drag resistance on the highway. Why do I even have it? So I've been taking things off or trying to make it more low profile to make room for things that I will actually be using. And well, stuff. that's one reason I really wanted you on the podcast, Tanner and Clay both. I mean, for the, obvi- the obvious reasons are obvious, but the not so obvious reason is both you guys, along with the ex-Overland branded vehicles, you have personal builds that you work on that have different use cases and needs. And so... You know, that that brings a perspective, I think, that probably a lot of uh, our fans are familiar with, you know, mm-hmm. with their own unique builds. So, yeah. XO trucks are Formula One trucks. <laughs> you know, it's, it's built yep. for the track. It's built for high performance to squeeze every little bit of performance out of them that we need to go do our job and make the best movies possible and, and market cool things. So thankfully they're all amazing things. We work hard at marketing good stuff. It's none of it's junk, but, uh, when it comes down to the personal life and our, we're all very open about this, Mm -hmm. you know, when we don't drive formula one type trucks on our own either, we we drive very practical vehicles. Um, uh, my, 
practical vehicle right now is my 62 series Land Cruiser, oh, you know? Yeah. And it people drove around the world in 62 series Land Cruisers and more be, you know, older vehicles than that for sure. So I'm very picky about what we put on it. Yeah, and the aesthetics matter a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's anemic. It doesn't have a lot of power, so I don't want to add more to it. Like, I'm very picky about what I do to it. Yep, yep. Well, speaking of old vehicles or, you know, some of these questions, uh, I would recommend to listeners when you write in questions as best as you can, try to be specific with what the question is or some details, and that will help us give you an even more specific answer. Um, and so this one, you know, this could be a new forerunner. It could be an old forerunner, but the question is, and this is from John Appleby from upstate South Carolina, beautiful place in the country. I know this question has been asked and answered before, but how do you get started with the bare bones? For me, that means just having a Toyota forerunner. How do you get started when you don't have much to start with? Thank you. Great question. I would say you already have a lot with the forerunner platform. Yeah, you already have a lot. Uh, even if it's an older forerunner, mm-hmm. back to our concept, make sure it's reliable. And then if you really want to know what it takes to go do this camping thing, look at a backpacker. Mm-hmm. That's what it takes. You need some food, some dehydrated food, some way of, or uh, an adventure motorcyclist who can actually carry a little bit more than a backpacker sometimes. Yeah. Depends. Yeah. I can speak to this. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's a basic sleep system, basic cooking, uh, a one-pot meal, a water bottle, a, a long spork, a jet boil, and you're gone. You know, sleep in the back of your truck in a forerunner if you don't have the tent. Oh, this is what that conversation about the RAV4 with my wife the other day came from the fact that I am redoing my adventure motorcycle kit Mm. and I'm rethinking it, you know, pull everything out, put it back together. And knowing that we're looking at the RAV4, which it's a hybrid, so it gets arguably better mileage even than my motorcycle does. And so, wow. Yeah, it's unbelievable. You're driving around 44 miles per gallon. So that's a lot of money for traveling, right? If you're not spending it on the fuel. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I could fit my moto kit right into the back of that, no problem, and start traveling. Yep. So, you know, just bringing that up, just because there's another question here kind of along those lines, like what kind of vehicle could I do this in? And it's like, well, you can get a start. Very simple, like with a backpacker's kit. You can begin there. Yeah. One of my mentors is Scott Brady. We bring him up a lot. He's, you know, founder of... Um, Overland Journal and Expedition Portal. If you're not familiar with those things, go check them out. They have great podcasts too. Um, but he always said, I should always be able to grab this one, I think it's a 1510 Pelican case, and I should be able to travel the world out of this case. Or I should be able to travel, go for a weekend out of this one 1510 case. And uh, I will say that when you do get down to the bare bones, the bare minimums, whatever fits into a 1510 case, which isn't, it's a carry on size. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. So don't think that because you don't have all this stuff that you're missing out. Kind of a less is more. Less is oh, yeah. Definitely more. Less fiddling, less gear, yeah. less maintenance. Just simple. So many times I'm trying to get out of town on the weekend and I'm, I'm fortunate to have a lot of crap from doing this <laughs> for 15 years, you know, and it, oftentimes becomes overwhelming for me to even try to decide what to do. What, what kit to take what or how to, to go. Yeah. You know, that's a weird problem, but I'm just saying 
less knowing just what you need and what you got and minimizing, getting rid of all the rest, it, it has a lot of value. Well, you brought up Scott Brady and it made me think of what Tanner was saying earlier as far as what he's doing with his own personal build, which is gradually removing things. And Brady's statement that your build is finished when We've, you've removed the last thing you don't need. Yeah. Okay. Right. You've taken off the last thing you don't need. <laughs> that, that is just such a funny paradox. You know, I think it's spot on. Um, we could change the, uh, the world by saying, what did you take off your truck this week? <laughs> Instead of Hash- what did you put it's on like, this? Truck? Yeah. I, I see a social opportunity. <laughs> Hashtag. What yeah. did you take what, off? What, take it ooh. off. We could start a <laughs> trend. Oh boy. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> That's good. There's all kinds of possibilities. (laughs) All right. So this one's from Bainbridge Island, Washington. So this is so cool. We have people writing in from the East Coast, the West Coast. I think there's maybe a question from Texas or people all over the country writing in. So Bainbridge uh, Island, uh, no name here, just says, I am very curious about your take on someone wanting to adventure on a small budget. What three items would you choose to buy first for your vehicle and what cheaper end products would you recommend for said items? So my interpretation of that is they're wondering like, is there a cheaper brand type of thing for those products? I think that's what he's trying to say or she. What is cheap? I don't know. You know, what, what is the definite, oops, sorry. What is the definition of cheap? Um, I don't know, but it might come down to a, Man, I don't know. This, let's give it some parameters. And so cheap yeah. can be expensive too. That was the first thought I had. Was like, is it cheap or affordable? Like, is it good but affordable, or is it cheap? Like, that's the way I interpret cheap. Is like, yeah, it's inexpensive, but it's also not very well, good. But yeah, and my you know cheap is expensive means sometimes you think, well, I'm saving money because I'm buying this for a lower price. Yeah, but then it ends up costing you more because it breaks or in causes something else to fail, or then you have to go replace it with something anyway. Yeah, very then, shortly. Then you spend even more money because of it. Right. Let, yeah. Let's let's tackle it this way. Yeah. Okay. You've got you've got Cyrus, who is a high school kid, and he's really he, who is my son. This is my a reference to my Cyrus son. Croft. He, he's wanting to go with his buddies and he wants to go camping and get traveling around, say like for a weekend in Montana here. He's on a high school budget. He's working summer jobs and working for dad a little bit. He's got a little bit of money, but he needs to get his stuff going. Let's go from there. Okay. First things, beg, borrow and steal. (laughs) Dad, can I borrow the oh, the hanger? I still have some of my dad's stuff. <laughs> where did Attigan go? Go see if you can. <laughs> yeah. This is where you dirt bag it. You know, like who's got stuff mm-hmm. that's not using it that I can borrow or or pay for them, mm-hmm. like garage sale price, uh, instead of thinking I have to go buy it new somewhere. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's oftentimes the best way. Yep. You know, some Yard sales, in, pawn yeah. shops, Facebook marketplace. Yeah. I mean, there's some good brand name stuff on there. You can get for half of what it'd be new. Yeah. So you're buying quality, mm-hmm. really high quality, but at affordable prices in yep. that case. Mm-hmm. Which may even include free. Yeah. 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 So Especially in this valley right now. Like yeah. Your yard sales. Yeah. If I were right. a teenager, even my age, I'm, I'm hitting them up. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't know. Let's extend it out there from there. Okay. I guess if I'm going to go for a weekend warrior trip, what do you need? You need shelter, food or cooking systems, mm-hmm. uh, storage of food, and shelter and water. You know, those are your basic needs, right? Um, I, w- I was going to say like cooler, mm-hmm. Coleman stove. Yep. Just a simple tent, ground tent. I mean, that's the way my wife and I camped for a long time. It's just a little pop-up ground tent, Coleman stove, and a little Costco bin cooler with all of our food and drinks in it. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could spend under, you know, you can get all that for under 150, 200 bucks pretty easily if you look around. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, if you're going to live for months out of your rig, that's a whole different story. But if you're just talking about wanting to throw camping gear in your vehicle, get up in the mountains start exploring. You don't need much. You don't need much. You will quickly uh, figure out that you need better things in certain mm-hmm. areas. And that's yeah. really going to be dependent on the person and the stuff that you started off with. But Yeah, that's just part uh, of getting out there and trying it out because yeah. you don't yeah. know until you try it. Yeah. And just to be specific with the question, right? It's uh, someone wanting to adventure mm-hmm. on a small budget. So adventure could be you know, stones throw away from your house. could be anything, right? There's such a broad range. Mm -hmm. And I I think you made a good point too, thinking about like a teenager or anybody just wanting to do a low budget start Mm -hmm. into adventure. Hey man, can I borrow your cooler for the weekend? Like, are you going to use that if you've got a big network of friends and people Mm -hmm. have tons of gear and you're just like, I want to try this out before I buy and commit. Can I borrow a little gear and see how it goes? Yep. Most people will be willing to help. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, good point. Okay. Um, next question. You guys ready for it? Ready. <laughs> All right. I'm going to hit you with it here. It's from William Sergery. And William says, I'm in the market for my first overlanding slash daily driver. So okay. interpret that to mean, right? It's going to mm-hmm. be both. Mm-hmm. Miles per gallon are big for me. What's your advice? Hmm. Let's go practical. Go ahead. You go first. I'll think about my answer a little more. Well, I'm hesitant to say something other than Toyota, though. I would be, too. But, hmm, miles per gallon. I mean, talking about your RAV4, I mean, those are a very capable option. They're cool. Especially now that you can get them in a hybrid. And they have a TRD, like ours has a TRD. So it's miles per gallon that he miles said is very. Gallon, so yeah. it's 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 the monthly. And it depends on of cash. Is that what we're talking about here? Is it, are we miles per gallon? Miles like, per gallon. Like I think just like like he doesn't he wants something with really good, good fuel mileage. efficiency. You know something that's. Uh, which makes sense, right? Because yeah. you're, you you yeah. can travel more. You can afford mm-hmm. to travel more. Most people. If they have a more fuel efficient vehicle, yeah, yeah, it's it's tough to know because if if depending on his travel, he may not need the high ground clearance off road capability because you're going to sacrifice miles per gallon getting into four wheel drives, higher ground clearance. There's just no way around it. So if you're traveling on mostly dirt roads, paved roads, you don't need the ground clearance. So lower riding vehicles are not a problem. Yeah, and yeah. that's where you're going to save your miles per gallon. Yeah, that's where I feel like that, you know, broadening 
the experience, like what, how you can experience adventure and outdoor travel and the kind mm-hmm. of things we all love to do. And that, you know, these questions are addressing to different vehicle types that allow you to get doing this. And then at some point if you're like, you know, I really do want to do things like flathead pass. I want to get into more, some more technical four wheeling trails as part of my travel. Mm-hmm. You can change vehicles eventually, but like for someone like this dual, uh, you know, daily driver, travel outdoor adventure vehicle miles per gallon is really important you can really do a lot with something like a rav4 yeah you know set up the right way i'm mm-hmm. with i'm with you you rav4s fantastic they even have adventure models trd models yeah in that yeah. Uh, um and it's going to be in the lighter vehicles the all-wheel drives Mm-hmm. More than likely, and to your point, you can go all over the world in those things. There's no shortage of adventure that you, to be had in those things. You might find places that you have to stop and turn around, but you'll be out there doing it. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's why I like his approach. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I need miles per gallon, but I want to be adventurous. This is just my parameters, but I'm going to go do it. That's cool. He's not limited to, he's not saying, well, I just can't do it because I don't have this. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, talking to a lot of people out there, uh, that's what I hear. Like they really have in their mind, unless they have X, it's not overlanding. They can't be doing it. You know, whatever, whatever that variable is for yeah. them, you know, whatever they're looking at. And uh, that's where I, th- I think this is important at right? just helping educate people. Yeah. There, there is. A- just get out there. Yeah. Kurt Williams, a cruiser outfitters and our, on our team, he always has a joke. He's like, because he's run a shop for years. He's like, I, the amount of people that have come into my place and said, well, I'm going to go on this trip, but I'm not going to go until I have my fridge. You know, I, I'm, I can't do this until I have my refrigerator or I have this or X or Y or Z. He's like, really? That's what's holding you back? <laughs> you know, there's amazing. I'm not going to Alaska until I make sure I have my refrigerator. Really? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, <laughs> think if, if you hear yourself out there Same telling yourself that. those things, maybe, maybe think through that a little bit. What's really the priority? Yeah. Is it the gear or is it the experience? Because if it's the experience, you're saying, I'm leaving without my fridge. I'll figure it out. I'm going to put a squeaky foam cooler in the back seat <laughs> and I'm going to deal with it because I'm going to Alaska. And yeah. that's part of the fun, right? It is, F- yeah. Figuring it out yep. And, yep. and improvising. Yeah. Okay. This is this is a big one. I'm very curious to hear both of your responses to this one. Okay, so Dennis3276 asks, pros and cons of a pickup versus an SUV for Ooh, overlanding? That's a great question. That's a good one. So I own a 2014 Forerunner. My wife owns a pickup. And honestly, the to me, the pros of the SUV is generally you get, unless you go with like a full-size pickup, you generally get a little bit more room inside for like front seat, rear seat room because you're not trying to like squeeze that truck bed into there. And then you also get in a completely enclosed cargo area unless you get like a topper on a pickup. You also get a shorter wheelbase, uh, a little bit more compact. I mean, obviously there's Tacomas and other trucks that are smaller. Mm. But just comparing, like, say, my wife's full-size pickup to my 4Runner, the 4Runner is very agile and nimble compared because it's shorter wheelbase. We like it because it's got a huge rear seat room. I mean, you have to get into, like, a Crew Max Tundra to compare with, like, your leg room in the back. The pickups are amazing for the utility and to have the space with the truck bed. Um, a lot of times I'm borrowing my wife's truck because I need to throw my kayak 
and I want to go to the lake or something, but I don't have all the time to, and the energy to put it up on the roof of my forerunner. So I just chuck it in the bed and go kind of thing. And there's a lot yeah. of versatility with building out a pickup over a forerunner or an SUV. Cause you got truck bed racks, you got toppers, you got full like live in camper system. I mean, there's a ton of versatility there, but you're also getting into that larger size category uh, a little bit heavier, more, a little bit less nimble inside of towns and cities and stuff. But I mean, it's, it's tough. Cause yeah, they both have their advantages and disadvantages, but for me, it's, you know, the pros of an SUV is the size. The downside is, you know, you don't have the versatility and the utility of a pickup. And the size Tanner, like I heard you mention one thing, which is mm -hmm. if you're running around, traveling let's say you're doing something like the pan american highway and you're in and out of these little third world cities and towns that aren't built for large american vehicles it's helpful that way and then the other is would it be the trails like it's more yeah. nimble like on a typical depending on the service vehicle. trail or something like that yeah i mean a shorter wheelbase you can turn around i mean there's times i've turned around on a single lane with pretty steep areas i mean i was kind of doing an austin powers turn but I was able to do it where like in my wife's pickup, I don't know if I could have, because by the time I got 90 degrees to the road, I probably would have been stuck at that point. So yeah, you get a little bit more nimble with the smaller, now talking like forerunner size SUVs with the larger like Sequoias and stuff, you're kind of getting up there into that pickup size category. But yeah. yeah in fact, currently that is the same frame as it. Tunnel. It is. Mm. Yeah. It's a little shorter, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. We'd have to dig that up. They're pretty close. They are I, very I, similar. <laughs> I think I can help there a little bit. Ooh, um, I, oh. I, I do think I can help there because I did a ton of research on that frame, that what? new frame. Yeah. Okay. And I think it's it's the same frame, but they can modify the wheelbase length for the platforms. That makes okay. sense. That's what I remember so they hearing. Lengthen it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so makes the, sense. So the Sequoia is a little shorter wheelbase than the Tundra. Okay. What, what I, That's good to know. What I've heard. Yeah, it's so. the front that's the same. I mean, the back, it's just, you know, frame and axle. That's pretty easy to extend yeah. if you need to. Makes sense. Yeah. That's how Land Rover did Defenders mm -hmm. a long time. Mm -hmm. just extended yeah. Stuff. yeah that that's, why, that's where 90, 110, 130 all comes from. It's the length of the frame. Hmm. So uh, my two cents uh, yeah. on SUV. Your, your versus, response to this. Versus pickup. I am a pickup guy. I like a truck. I... I have a 200 series Land Cruiser as a daily driver. Uh, the wife drives that. It's great for families. Mm -hmm. um, the Sequoia that we just built went to Africa. It's a great people hauler and cargo, and it hauls a trailer really nice. So I think there is a place for SUVs for families that are camping and utilizing trailers. That's like a great marriage. Because you could put like a rooftop on the SUV plus have an overlanding trailer. Trailer, for the everyone fits inside, kind of got all the family in the rig, and then all the other stuff, you either tow it or it sits on top. Okay. Uh, great for people and families. Having the third row in an SUV, that's pretty, pretty cool. Pretty game changing. Yeah. And that's what you were saying too, Tanner, about the SUV is that back seat, the seating area. Mm -hmm. the, there's more room relative to most pickups unless you get like a full crew max, like more room relative to wheelbase length. <laughs> I should, I should, should I should make the comparison of my Forerunner versus a Tacoma of the same year, because they're roughly the same size and kind of category. The Tacoma has to squish the cab to make room for the bed, 
So the rear seat room is a lot shorter if you're a full-size person versus yeah. in the back of a forerunner because you're not needing to have that bed length in there. So you can get a lot. I mean, I have with my front seat and my forerunner in my driving position, I can get in the back seat and have at least three to four inches between my knee and the front seat where I'd be driving. So you can fit, you know, full-size adults in it very comfortably. Now, I rode all the way to the Prudhoe Bay and back in the back of Adigan. And it was snug. <laughs> it was yeah, snug. That, you, you're sacrificing that rear seat <laughs> yeah. for the bed, to Tanner's point, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You but then you're the gaining the forerunner. bed utility. So yeah. it's just that, con- I mean, like if yeah. it's just your, if you're just a husband and wife or you have little kids right now, you know, a pickup, a smaller pickup like that would be great because you have the truck bed utility, you have the room for your kids in the back, but yeah having the suv is nice if you need that rear seat room or even a third row seat and did you guys mention this already when you're talking about beds like the fact that the suv you can set it up like with a goose gear system or something like that so you can sleep in it mm-hmm. yep. more easily like have a bed system in there i guess you could sleep in the back yeah. of a pickup with a cap or two pretty easily oh, yeah. yeah 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 for sure yeah it's they're all very capable it's just kind of your own personal use case and how you're going to travel in it. Some of it just boils down to what you like. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Kurt Williams loves the, the 200 series Land Cruiser, the best vehicle on the planet in his mind, and which it is amazing, you know, but if I was forced to have to pick the a 200 series Land Cruiser or a new uh, Tundra or the new Tacoma, I don't know anything about the new Tacoma just yet, but uh, I don't know. I'd probably pick it. Probably go with the Tundra Tundra's because I want to, to live in space. I want to build the camper out. I want to yeah. live in it. Uh, we're leading right to the next questions. We yeah, need to just go, go there. Uh, okay. I'm going to combine the two. Um, or, you know, just kind of, I'm going to share these questions because they're all related and, and things we're talking about. Um, we're talking about rooftop tents. We're talking about canopies, all that kind of thing. So first one is this, and I'll, I will stay with this one. I can't uh, pronounce the person who wrote in i think there's some kind of a handle give it a try something uh <laughs> yeah it's oh wait i got it it's esteban j vega nice ah. i think i close to that okay question great qu- great question common one rooftop tents versus ground tents rooftop tent ground tent no ah, that like surprised it. me we have a debate, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so I'll say that I started off with ground tent, and there's nothing wrong with them, but I really, really like the ease of being able to pull in, park, pop the tent, and you're done. You're not trying to find a level spot if you're in a weird area or you're you're there's so many times my wife and I camped in just weird spots. It's like, man, we can't find a level area. And then it was really hard for me to just get comfortable, like just sleeping on the ground. I mean, even though you're not any more protected from wildlife or critters, you just feel a little bit better up in a rooftop tent. And so for me, I just love the, I don't like the idea if it's a daily driver and you're only just using it here and there because it's always on your vehicle. So that's kind of the downside of a rooftop tent. So you really need to actually be using it a lot to justify it. Hence why I don't have one on my own vehicle because we have a camper with our family. So, I mean, the camper is way more convenient for us. Yeah. And if you wanted to really like get somewhere remote that involved more four wheel drive travel with your forerunner, you could just throw a ground tent in and. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have that option there. Yeah. And you're talking about 10 pounds 
versus a hundred and that's yeah there's definitely the drawbacks of the rooftop tent um but for like if i was going to be doing it long term i guess it's all about the parameters and the use case that we could define but for like how we travel that's my experience with rooftop tents is with x overland on the big trips i mean you just can't beat especially on the nordic every single tent was a wedge tent the easiest setup and teardowns it was just amazing how quickly we could just pop the latch push it up opens the alley cab tents are just phenomenally fast and they're just so convenient okay you convinced me yeah uh, there's uh, when it comes to speed and efficiency there is probably nothing that competes with a wedge rooftop tent because to all of Tanner's points, roll in, set it up, pop it up. You crawl in. It's your bed's made. It's secure. You're up off the ground. It's great. You get out, you fold it down, off you go. It's really nice. Yeah, but even if you come in, like you say, talk about hard landings, it's dark, yeah. it's raining, all that kind of stuff. There's mud on the ground. Yeah. You're not dealing with ground tent situation exactly. there. Exactly. Exactly. So in that case, man, I, I really am a rooftop tent fan uh, or sleeping in the back of a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the E7 trucks, uh, the Land Cruisers that went around the world, they made sure that they could sleep in the back of each one of them. And Greg and the guys, they, they just... One of their specifications was that they want to be able to go from the back seat to the front seat without having to get in mm-hmm. or, or get out. They could just literally crawl in the front seat, start it, and drive off. Mm-hmm. Security reasons. Yeah. But uh, the next best thing would be a rooftop tent on top. Um, and we did pack a ground tent to Africa. So we are about to have all the different ideas on what yeah. this is going to be like. Yeah, wow. all three. Yeah, the yeah. sleep-in systems, I would say, is probably the best case because that is the most protected in any kind of weather, temperature environment. If you yeah. get too cold, you could start the engine and let the heater warm up. If it's windy and raining, it doesn't matter. Quiet. So the sleep-in sleep in system, in system is the best system. What, define that. Uh, just a sleep platform in the back of an SUV or something. Like yeah. in our like club or a... Just inside the vehicle. Oh, like we, we, in so, the vehicle. Yeah, in, in the vehicle. A sleep Sorry. system in the SUV. In the vehicle, okay. yeah. Got it. Got so it. like yeah. in Forerunner, our uh, Forerunner clone that was in the Nordic, we had Cyrus sleeping in there, and it's on a goose gear platform that you delete one of the rear seats, and then it ex- it's a platform that extends from the, ba- the back tailgate all the way up to the back of the passenger seat. And so a full-size adult has a spot they can put out a sl- uh uh, mattress pad or you know any kind of mattress system or foam roll crash in there yeah and then right. that's the most protected you could possibly be and i mean that's you can run heat if you need to mm-hmm. like you were saying you know by just starting a vehicle it's quiet in there it's too really like in the quiet. wind if it's a windy yeah, no, yeah. it's like you know where I mean, it's it's just, any any tent can mean very yeah. noisy mm-hmm. nothing will beat the inside of a truck it's designed to be yeah. quiet in the wind you're driving down the exactly. road 70 miles an hour <laughs> you know yep. there you go there you go. Yeah. Uh, so oh. there, there, that's another point to the SUV. Like where the, mm-hmm. that's kind of a beauty of a SUV. Now you can obtain this by having a, uh, like a canopy on a long bed truck or something mm-hmm. like you can get, you can get close to this, but it won't be as quiet as that. Uh, the E7 trucks keep going back to this. They were 70 series land cruisers, the troopies. And they, they built it so that two people can sleep in the back of them. They had a Wabasto heater, 
pipe into the cabs. So at night they didn't have to run the engines mm-hmm. super quiet. Way more efficient. Yeah. But that's a pretty interesting truck. That's a very unique vehicle. Yeah. And yet like that. looking at, at, let's just say Tanner's forerunner, I think such a good example because there are probably a lot of people with outfits like that. Right. So what I'm learning in this podcast is Tanner can sleep inside of that forerunner. Like set up like we're talking about, maybe a goose gear or something, but a sleep platform, sleep system within. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's super windy, it's super cold, it's pouring rain, whatever. But now, let's say you have a beautiful evening and all the time in the world to set up a camp. Why not have a five-pound tent along, ground tent, yeah, tucked away? Oh, yeah. And you're like, hey, everybody, let's sleep out tonight, yeah, right? And you you have you have options. That would yep. be cool. No. I know you're cooking up an answer. I'll take it one step further. Okay. With my friend Kurt Williams again. <laughs> All right. Okay. So Kurt, oh, Kurtistan, he loves his 200 series Land Cruiser and he drives around the deserts of Utah every weekend. Like he puts more time in a truck and sleeping out than anybody I know <laughs> by a long shot. And he sleeps on a sleep platform that he folds a seat down on his 200 series Land Cruiser. And then when it's a nice day, do you know what he does? Hammock. No. He has a roof rack. With nothing on top, he throws down his uh, that's, that's sleeping pad option. up on top, and that's we have this Ooh. conversation. I've been camping with him many times. He's sleeping on his roof rack that under the awesome. stars, up on top of the truck. Yeah, that would be amazing, and it's amazing. I, want, I love that idea. Yeah, so that's why I've been taking all the stuff off my roof yeah. rack. I just realized you're, you're just yeah, next time we go <laughs> you're, camping, you're, you're sleeping on the top. <laughs> How cool is that? Just, Horrible thunderstorm that night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you just crawl inside your SUV. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's well, we a good op- moving, that's um, a good way to go. As far as like, you know, options here and all the things that we're, we're talking about, we just keep you know building up. Bill Spur Fought. Bill Spur Photo is what I'm guessing that is meant to be. Uh asks, is it worth buying a canopy for a pickup or should I just get rails and mount a rooftop tent? So canopy versus rooftop tent is what I'm hearing there. Oh, if you get the right canopy, you can put a rooftop tent on top of it. But yeah, that's kind of that's his personal preference, really. Yeah, there's. But, yeah. yeah, I have a very strong opinion about that one. Oh, do you? I do. Okay, let's canopy hear. all the way, canopy all the way. But I hate dust on all my stuff, mm-hmm. and there's security factor to it. And you can put a rooftop tent on, like you were saying, tent. Put it. You can still put the rooftop tent mm-hmm. on top, but. There, there in the last, you know, probably the AT Habitat was the first one of the combo version mm-hmm. uh, of the the canopy camper concept, mm-hmm. canopy tent. So now we've got AT puts out a couple different versions. You've got uh, Project M from Four Wheel Campers that has, it's a canopy, plus it pops up and becomes a tent. Okay. Mm. Uh, you've got Alucab. Obviously, mm-hmm. we work with them very all of our new systems on the Tacomas and Tundras are the canopy camper type of thing. And you got go fast. Um, a lot of good options out there. Um, all have their pluses and minuses. The Alucab is very much dedicated to the full time yeah. robust system that we love to run. Um, but I am into the new, these new systems where it's a canopy, uh, sorry, canopy plus the tent. Yeah. And they're lighter that you you do have to pay for it all at once. That's the catch, right? Like you just got to buy it. Yeah. But then you get the camper. You can stand up in the back of it. It's you can build out the inside. You can build them out or you can leave it cargo 
I think that is the ultimate solution. And I would save money Yeah, to go that far. I would not go to a bed rack if you could save up a little bit more and get into something like that for sure. Exactly. Yeah, it makes me think how sure. rooftop tents are, you know, getting fancier and fancier, more amenities, which is cool. But I have heard guys talk about by the time I put all the money into making my rooftop tent more comfortable, I could have just bought a canopy yeah. or come close. It, it, yeah. And then once you spend that little bit of extra and then all of a sudden you have the ability to live in a system versus like a rooftop tent, you're still, it's just a tent. You're getting in and out. Yeah. You're still having to live outside and do things outside. It's just a place to sleep. Yeah. As soon as you open up that roof and it becomes a tent or like a camper, man, game changer. Mm-hmm. I love them. I am sold out. And that's why I say if I had to pick between a 200 series Land Cruiser or a new Tundra with one of the things on the back, one of those can- canopy camper systems on the back, I'm picking that one because yeah, I get to live in it. That's a no-brainer to me too. These, I I could not be more impressed with the alley cabs. Uh, I mean, not just because we work with them, but just looking at all the different options because we've worked with quite a few of the different options. I love the fact we've built that built them all. We have. And the fact that they're the easiest to set up, even over Habitat, because the Habitat folds all the way over. It's a little, it's nice, but it's a little bit more of a thing. But I love that you can just push the bed platform out of the way, and then you have all your standing room, but then your bed stays in place, and then you just pull it down, and you can access it through a hatch. You don't have to, like, take your bed apart to crawl into it. Mm-hmm. To me, it's the best of all the worlds. And the way they're built, they're just so well thought out. They're all aluminum. They're, I mean, they're very lightweight for what they are. The only drawback is you are dedicating it to that system. You don't retain your tailgate. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a dedicated live-in camper system. I was thinking that for... You know, people, that might be a, a key element of that decision is what else am I trying to do with my vehicle? Or is this purpose-built, dedicated overlanding machine? Or yeah. am I also trying to do contractor work? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And if you're doing that, get their contour canopy. Alley Cab makes their own topper and then just put one of their their rooftop tents on top of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Understand. In our world, we have dedicated and daily driver, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that we build for us is a dedicated, it's only built for one thing and that's to go live out of and travel countries. Yeah. It's got one job. So we make certain sacrifices that aren't really that big of a sacrifice. Like losing a tailgate to us to an alley cab system is not a problem because we gain all these other things that really matter to us. Yeah. If I was a contractor, I wouldn't want to lose my tailgate, you know? So maybe the rooftop tent, uh, that's on the top of the bed because you need the openness and all yeah. that. You need to be able to reach in the bed all the time. That starts to make sense to have the bed rails and a rooftop tent. Yep. What kind of piggybacking off of, the, of that? You know, that that was our final question. And what I'm thinking, you know, as far as for people wondering what vehicle, how to build it, all the kind of questions we've been answering is how a lot of this will depend upon your unique personal style. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Your needs, your wants, and your style, and and so one thing I feel like we have accomplished here, I hope, is we've broken out of maybe a mold that people have in their heads of an overland vehicle that you know it it has to be this, yeah, or I'm not overlanding. To it can be lots of different things. You know, what do you want? What do you need? What is your own personal style of camping like? What do you enjoy? And then figure out a way to put that together and, and get out there. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the important thing is to get out there because that's how you're going to find out what you need and what you don't need. That's what I heard Tanner is like an underlying theme, you know, right from the get-go is get out there, start doing things. Yeah, start doing it. Clay, yep. what would you give to these folks final words on this subject? Uh, the individuality of, of the vehicles is a lot of the fun. So, mm, For sure. You know, we I love, and I wish I could do it more, like at expos, the best places to go are out in the parking lots where everybody's camping. You know, you, you go into the vendor booths and like our booths and all that, everything's super polished and tight. But then you get to go walk where everybody's camping and see how they're doing things. And the individuality of it all is tons of fun. So don't mm-hmm. be afraid to have your own flair to it all and make, and if you want something, do it. If you, yeah, have fun with it. We can all kind of get, I don't know, high and tight about all this stuff. You know, like, oh, it's going to be this way or that or that, you know, but yeah, it is an individual thing and make sure that you keep it there so you maximize the fun. I love it. That's a good place to end. Keep it fun, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Get out there, play, use your gear, stay adventurous. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps. We appreciate your support. And until next time, stay adventurous. Stay adventurous.